0: Good morning, church. Pastor Jeff here, Pastor Greg. We're appropriately distancing ourselves on the couch together to, for this uh, sermon this morning. So, so Pastor Greg, i got a question for you. Yes, when sir. you get hungry, what kind of stuff do you, do you eat? Uh, well, taking it from the top of the day, Yeah.
1: I love to eat some grape nuts in the morning, my favorite breakfast cereal, but I also typically go to fruit at every meal. Bananas, apples, love it.
0: So you're, you're super healthy.
1: Well, my mom kind of drilled this into me. I do have a favorite breakfast drink these days, okay. though. I usually drink a little black tea sometime in the morning, and then this. You know what oh, this is? I, lo- I
0: love that. Kombucha. That
1: stuff's... Do not drink a whole bottle at the same time, but just like a little <laughs> bit every day. That'll do great, some things for you. Great stuff.
0: Now, so... Okay, so how, how about you? I have some healthy stuff, too. Like, for lunch every day, I have... A Washington Golden Delicious apple, yes, and some Skippy all-natural peanut butter with without much sugar. This is this, tr- this, this is, is true. Lunch. We
1: all see him eating this every single right, day for, for lunch, lunch
0: every day. It's amazing. And then I add I add a little exciting drink here. I have the Cavita apple cider vinegar tonic. This stuff will change your life. That's for old people. Is it for old people? Well, I am old. So I I drink this because I'm old. And this is supposed to do some things for me. I'm not sure what, but it's it's exciting. Yeah, let's not go into that. All right, all right, all right. So when it
1: it comes to lunch, my wife and I were vegetarians for five years. I am off the vegetarian bandwagon, so I love to eat meat at lunch. And my favorite lunchtime uh, fruit is usually blueberries, preferably covered in chocolate. So, (laughs) it's it's still fruit. Really good,
0: super good for you. It's awesome, totally healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, unhealthy snacks that you uh, maybe like crave or go after?
1: Well, I mean, I do have a little bit of a sweet tooth. So here are here are some gummy apple rings. Uh, I mean, those are kind of questionable as well. I also have a little weak spot. uh, I mean, sometimes for like Fritos or Pringles. So I I have this childhood memory of ever I would get a. Pringles can out. My mom would shoot me a glance and say, "You know, you are what you eat." Really? Yeah.
0: It's ridiculous. Now, now I get, that's weak sauce compared to my. Uh, what stuff. you got? So check these out. Auntie <laughs> donuts. These babies. I've had these in my refrigerator since Friday. They're like calling to me. Mm. You know, like I can hear them calling to me, like calling my name, Jeff. Yeah, you got to eat these. And then my real vice. Yes oh this this thing here this is the mocha bold heist mocha f- cappuccino thing this thing goes down smooth you have no idea you're sucking in like pounds of sugar and fat it just goes smoothly i've seen down. this
1: man drinking gallons of this stuff exactly. not, not all at once but I've,
0: I've toned it down I, a bit lately because i'm getting old now but i call this the dark master it is it is the dark master <laughs> for me. so 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 you mentioned a phrase a minute ago you yes. are what you eat so you've, you've heard that before
1: yeah, my mom dropped me this on me all the time. You are what you eat. I all mean, right. to kind of bring to consciousness,
0: all right. you know, eating good awesome. stuff, right? So the old saying, you are what you eat, is certainly true. How we eat, how we deal with our hunger, how we satisfy our hunger, says a lot about who we are and who we're becoming. In many ways, we've taken food to a whole new low in America. Like, we've created fast food. Fast food basically means food that's not nutritious, Made in all the wrong ways, made real quick from really bad ingredients, and, you know, it doesn't do good things for your body. That's what fast food is. And the crazy thing about fast food is when you eat it, you get addicted to it. Like, I mean, I'll tell you, I go through days where I just crave French fries. I just want a French fry. I want a whole bucket of French fries because I've trained my body to just want French fries. You know, it's like I'm addicted to French fries. The more you eat this fast food, it creates a terrible appetite for all the wrong foods in your system. Now, these effects don't often show up immediately. You know, it's little by little, right? you're taking this bad food in, and little by little, it starts to show up in your system. Like, you, you start to feel not so good, or maybe your body starts to change shapes. You know what I'm talking about? And the effects of that food, uh, you know, is eventually shown. It kind of shapes us. So, the hunger we have and the stuff we take in to feed that hunger actually shapes us and makes us who we are. So, we are truly, we are what we eat. Now, this coronavirus thing, this whole crisis that's going on, it's kind of like Someone is shining a spotlight on all of our appetites and hungers. The other day I was in Aldi, a lady in front of me, she had eight pounds of sugar in her cart. Eight pounds of sugar, seriously? And the cashier said to her, ma'am, I can't sell you that much sugar. She's like, why not? I need the sugar. Ma'am, there's other people. Like, it's okay, I can sell you two of those sugars. Two pounds of sugar, still a lot. But like, wow, we are really getting a spotlight on our, our hungers, our appetites in this coronavirus. Thing. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is full of food passages, food directives, food stories. God seems to know that the way we satisfy our hunger is a really big deal, and it shapes who we are and what we're becoming. Give you some examples. Manna fell from heaven from the book of Exodus all the way to the book of Joshua. Every day, just enough for today, You can pick it up off the ground and eat it. All through Leviticus, there's these dietary laws telling us what we can't eat and what we can't eat. In the book of Daniel, Daniel participates in Babylonian culture fully, except for one area. He refuses to eat the king's food and instead eats the food that has been prescribed to him by the Bible. And then in Jesus' life, he spends several times feeding thousands of people with a small loaf of bread or a little lunch. Pastor Greg, can you like start us? So so we're going to actually look into John 6 today, right? Yep.
1: Yeah, we're going to hang out in John chapter 6 for a little while, friends. And um, if I could summarize this chapter, it's with that phrase, you are what you eat. So if you want to pause the live stream for a second to grab a Bible or get your phone out and uh, go over to BibleGateway.com, we're going to read some verses from John chapter 6. This chapter begins with Jesus feeding 5,000 people for free Now these times 2,000 years ago were not unlike our own. People were anxious about getting and obtaining the basic necessities of life. So imagine for a second that I drove a large truck through your neighborhood and on a bullhorn shouted out to your neighbors saying, free eggs, free milk, free sanitizing wipes, free toilet paper, free bleach. Do you think anybody would come out of their houses to get that free stuff off the back of that truck? Totally we would, right? This is what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. He provided free food, free bread, and crowds gathered around and followed him and waited for more free stuff. I'm reading now from John chapter 6, starting at verse 30. The crowd asked Jesus, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he, Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. So this crowd is saying to Jesus, hint, hint, uh, we would love some free food, Jesus. That would be awesome. Now, there's amazing Jewish history with this word manna, a word in their language that literally means, what's that? Like, what is it? That is what manna means. After God freed the Israelites, after hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, after he parted the Red Seas for them to cross, the Israelites found themselves under Moses' leadership, wandering through the desolation of the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. They were struggling to find food and water. They pray for God, and God begins sending them a daily dose of manna. It is there after the morning dew falls, day after day. But here's the deal. It didn't work to store manna. It didn't work uh, to hoard it away just enough for a day. It was literally your daily bread. The Jewish theology of manna went something like this. Manna is the bread from heaven. What is it? It's bread from heaven. Jews thought that God had a giant vault in heaven, like a storehouse or a cupboard, full of manna, and he would daily make it rain heavenly bread for their benefit and survival. So what the folks in John chapter 6 are really saying to Jesus is, please, Jesus of Nazareth, make it rain again so we have something to eat. Jesus responds to their request this way. Very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread Jesus is saying, I am the only real thing that has ever come down from heaven to earth. And if you take me in by faith, if you take me in like bread, you will start to become like me. You will be a child of God born to rise up to eternal life because you are what you eat and here I am for you. Sometimes Jesus was hard to understand. Frequently he spoke in parables, but on this occasion people actually got very quickly what he was talking about. And they didn't like it. When Jesus started talking about taking him in as bread, people started grumbling. And Jesus responded to them this way. Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day highly recommend uh, reading John chapter 6 in its entirety with your family today. If you read that whole chapter, you'll notice a paradox. It goes back and forth between an emphasis on human activity, right? It's we who get hungry, we who seek food, we who do the eating, and God's activity. God as the one who can only meet our deepest needs. God who provides bread and Jesus saying, here I am. I am the food you need. Lest we miss the point, Jesus says it again. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here, I imagine gesturing to himself, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Manna was wonderful, manna was awesome, but manna did not save anybody's life in the end. Now here is something marvelous, Jesus says, gesturing to himself, here is real wonder bread. And just in case you are still missing it, people, Jesus drives it home one more time. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, with that little word, flesh, something changes. Right? It's one thing for Jesus to be poetic and metaphorical and seemingly to refer to himself as the manna of God, the bread of heaven. But it's another thing when Jesus uses this word, the crowd hears him say, literally, you need to like, take a bite out of me. And it takes everybody aback, record scratch, stop moment. It seems kind of creepy and gross, quite frankly. And this is where, I don't want to go on, so I'm turning it back over to Klein. <laughs> what, is,
0: what is Jesus Thank talking you. about? Yeah, It was indeed a scandalous statement. In fact, the earliest Christians were accused by the Romans of being cannibals because of this language that Jesus used. They actually thought, wow, these Christians, they actually eat the flesh and drink the blood of their Lord, of their Savior? This is crazy. And then Jesus takes it even further because he says it again in this way in verses 53 to 55. Look at this. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, I've got to be honest. I started thinking about this passage all week, thinking, well, why, why are these people so, like, worked up over this? Like, what's going on in their minds? And if you really trace back the Jewish thinking, you can figure out kind of what, what made them so upset. So the Jewish rabbis had taught about this storehouse that Greg talked about a few minutes ago, this storehouse that Moses actually accessed in the wilderness to bring the bread, the manna, right, to heaven, and uh, to earth. And Moses accessed this storehouse, this treasury of God, to bring the manna, and this miraculous provision of God fell on the earth, and Moses Moses, uh, accessed that, and he became validated as a prophet because of it. When the people entered the promised land in Joshua the manna in heaven stopped. Now they could eat from the fruit of the trees of the land. They could could produce their own crops there. Because of this, the Jewish people reinterpreted this manna idea based on Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, which reads like this. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you, the man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So basically, the Jewish people took this and said, okay, now that we're living in the promised land, the manna of God, the storehouse of God is the Torah, the law, the word of God. We need to base our lives on that. That will feed our hunger. That will give us abundant life that we're after. But then Moses takes it even further in Deuteronomy 18. He says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command here. Moses specifically says here that this prophet would come from among them, like be one of their own, and that this prophet would speak the very words of God. The rabbis wrote about this in this book, the Baruch book of the rabbis. The Jewish people talked about their expectation for this one who fulfilled his ancient words. This is what they wrote. Shall come to pass at that self same time that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high, and they will eat of it in those years, because these are they who have come to the consummation of time. So, Jesus is basically letting his audience know that the treasury of God has been opened again, and he is the bread of God. He is the manna that has come now, and it's in his person, in his flesh. And Jesus actually acts this out for them. Like Moses, he crosses the sea. With large crowds following him, he gives signs and he goes up on a mountain. And the Feast of Passover pointed to this new bread, this new man, this new person would come and point to God. Jesus is basically saying, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than the Torah. I'm greater than this bread that came down. You must look to me. He reiterates this again in, in John chapter 6, verses 56 to 57, when he says this, whoever eats my flesh... And drinks my blood, remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, when I think about this passage, it kind of strikes me that in Genesis 3, when the world goes into chaos and goes south, it's actually because Adam and Eve take something in that they're not supposed to take in. They actually buy the narrative of the enemy. And they take fruit that's forbidden from the tree and they take it in themselves. Almost like agreeing with the enemy that that this new way, this new narrative, this new story is a better way to live their lives. That their hunger can best be filled not by the way God designed it, but in another way. If you think about it, if we're honest, we've continued to make that same choice over and over again. Continue to take in things that are not good for us continue to feed on things that lead to death instead of life. I mean, we eat many foods during a given week. The same people that created fast food have created fast life. Fast life includes running by each other at 90 miles an hour, not really connecting. It includes productivity and pragmatics. We even have, like, whole appetites around things that we now crave. We just have to have. I don't know about this, I don't know about you, but this coronavirus thing has made me ask some questions. Like, what if I can't get what I'm used to getting? What if I can't get it right now when I want it? And I'm so used to be able to get up from my house, run to the store, get whatever I want. I mean, if I want a mocha, I just can run over there and grab that thing and just chug it down. But all of a sudden, what if I can't get those things? What if I can't consume what I'm used to consuming? Maybe this crisis is making us, all of us, look at our lives, reflect on what's really captured our appetites, the ways that we satisfy our hunger. The crisis that we're living through presently can be revealing. It kind of makes us step back. Like, what does it tell you about your appetites, about the things you crave, about your hungers, about your consumption? What are you learning about your body, your soul, your mind, and how it's been trained to expect certain realities and comforts? Now, let's face it, guys. We like things to be safe, secure, economically strong, and super comfortable. Mm -hmm. What if we don't get that stuff anymore? You know, the saying that says we are what we eat, it's probably true. We have become what we have eaten. Fast life, bad stuff, taking in all kinds of stuff, You know, a few years ago, when I was at, uh, actually it was a lot of years ago now, uh, working at the other church, the prayer ladies at my church were really into fasting. I can't stand fasting, to be really honest. It's like 24 hours of torture. But they convinced me to go on this Daniel fast, which was a little different kind of fast. It was like three weeks or four weeks of, I think it was three weeks of eating no fats, no sugars, just fruits and vegetables and nuts and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll do this with you ladies. So I agreed to this i tell you what, the first couple days, I was like crawling out of my skin just trying to find sugar, just trying to like keep from eating sugar. And then, uh, as I continued through this journey, I realized, wow, if sugar has a hold on me just like that so strongly, what else has a hold on me? What else have I taken in that has literally got me imprisoned in it, right? So here's a question. Is there an opportunity here during this coronavirus kind of shelter-at-home time to reset ourselves? To have a forced Daniel fast from comfort, security, getting what we want when we want it, from busyness, from walking by each other? I mean, last night, me and my kids were, and my wife were sitting at the table playing a game. No phones, no electronics, no screens, looking at each other, laughing, playing a game. Maybe this is a chance to reset our spiritual appetites, our appetites in general, to reflect on what we hunger for and what we actually choose to satisfy our hunger. A preacher in Texas wrote this about this. Spiritual appetites have become diverted to the point that Paul could say, there is none that seeks after God. These desires have not been extinguished, but rather rerouted. We drink spiritually at muddy watering holes to quench our thirst and eat from the city dump to satisfy our hunger. Ultimately, all sin is taking one of these God-given longings and going in a God-absent direction to fulfill them. So back to our story in John 6. Look at this, what Jesus says. This is the bread that came down from heaven, me. Your forefathers ate manna and died. It lasted for a day. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is saying, you need to feed on me. You need to take me in, right? He wants him to have a life-giving encounter with the true bread from heaven, the bread that's offered that brings eternal life in the person of Jesus and only in the person of Jesus. It's the only way you can have your hunger satisfied, your real hunger. That same invitation that was given to those people on the hillside is also given to us in 2020. If you're hungry, will you go to Jesus and be fed? If you're hungry, will you let God feed you? You know, the Lord's Supper is interesting. Um, we take it and we have all these discussions about how often we should take it. There's always discussions. We don't want to take it too often because it might get worn out or, you know, we want to make sure we're not doing it in a way that's unworthy. And we really, we're super careful about the Lord's Supper. But if you think about the Lord's Supper, it's kind of like we get to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, whatever you believe about that and how that works, there's something mystical going on at the Lord's Supper. We take ordinary bread and ordinary grape juice, and in that meal around that table, the body of Christ comes and the Holy Spirit comes and feeds us in ways that we don't ever get fed anywhere else in the world. I have had some profound Lord's Supper experiences in my life. One of the most profound, DC 88, in a giant auditorium of like 18,000 students, the speaker, Buster stories passed out garbage cans. First, out, paste out paper. We put our, our sins in the paper. Then, collected all the papers in garbage cans. Backed a garbage truck into the auditorium. We threw all of the sins in the garbage truck. He drove it off, and then he served the Lord's Supper to all of us. And we got to feed on Jesus and take Him in. All the junk, like Miss Linda talked about before, washed out, and this Jesus coming in to feed us and fill us with Himself. It was amazing. So Jesus, Jesus is offering us the majesty and the hugeness of being fed by him and, be, and feeding on him. Now, when these people hear this, look what they do. Look at, look at these people on the hillside. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? <laughs> Some of these followers that were following Jesus around, looking for him to be something other than what he really was, They were like, we can't do this. This is way too hard. This is not the way we pursue God. Jesus responds to them. He says this. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. So Jesus says to them, look, this is the only bread. The law is not the answer. The the bread you're eating every day is not the answer. All the other stuff you're taking into yourself is not the answer. The only real answer for real life is me. I'm it. These people had settled for a religion that was far, I don't know, just way down below. It wasn't really doing what it was supposed to do. It was just settling. You know, there's this great commercial that came out by DirecTV a few years ago. It's about the settlers. Check this out. Dear, why don't we switch to
1: DirecTV? Now, Mother, we are settlers. I've settled for Cable all my life.
0: But DirecTV has been number one in customer satisfaction over Cable for 15 years. We find our
1: satisfaction elsewhere. The boy has his stick and hoop. The girl, her faceless doll. And you have your cabbages. And you have your foot stomping. I
0: sure do. Don't be a settler. Get rid of Cable. Now, that commercial makes me laugh. I love that. The settlers, (laughs) they don't want to have direct TV. They want to stick with cable. But think about it, folks. Have we settled, like the Jewish people back in Jesus' day, for a faith and a religion that's far below what Jesus really offers? Do we have our little stuff and we have just settled? You know, I love this. Again, the same preacher in Texas, Dwight Edwards, says this. When our experience doesn't match what Scripture appears to offer, the worst thing we can do is interpret the passage in such a way as to bring it down to the level of our experience, thereby subtly vindicating ourselves. Instead, we should ask God to raise our experience to the level of the passage, saving us from downsizing the magnitude of the offer He makes. The starting point for us is never what feels or seems most real, but what is real according to the divine plan and provisions of God. This whole crisis has made me wonder how we've settled, where we've settled, you know, how we've talked ourselves into a Christianity that's not really, I don't know, all that God wants to offer us. So are we ready to take Jesus' invitation this morning? Are we ready to feed on him, to take him in? Now, before we just leave, we want to give you some ideas about how to do that. So Pastor Greg and I have a couple of uh, little little ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, we agreed, I don't know, several months ago, that we would actually uh, tr- try to begin our day in silence. Now, you can imagine Pastor Greg doing this. You can imagine me not really doing this. <laughs> in fact, I have to bring a notebook into the room with me and set it next to me with a pen so I can write down all of my ADHD thoughts that come into my mind first, for the first five to seven minutes while I'm sitting quietly. But in the mornings, I gather in my living room by myself, and I sit there quietly, and I try to just... Feed on Jesus. Just soak him in and listen for his voice. How about you, Pastor Greg?
1: Yeah, uh, this is a great practice. Uh, For me, part of being quiet is um, heading outdoors uh, first thing in the morning and just kind of walk silently and quietly with my eyes open for 15 or 20 minutes. And then uh, the next part of my walk is to um, listen to my Bible reading plan. So kind of going through the Bible in one year. That sounds super spiritual. That is way more than I can handle every day. So i listen to about 25 minutes of the Bible. Like, I, I can't remember it all. It doesn't make me super spiritual, but when I do that, usually God will give me a phrase or a word or something to hang on to. So it's, it's not about that giant thing. It's about that little bit of daily bread that then I can um, walk with Jesus for
0: a day. You walk on water sometimes, right? No. Okay, all right, yeah, this, just, just check Straight to the bottom. I do, I pour it on the floor, and then I walk on. All right, so. Um, one last one, going along with what Pastor Greg said there, is the idea that, like, when you're reading your Bible, you're trying to get through it. Rather than trying to get through it, what if you can, you can get the Bible to get through to you? So I actually take a notebook next to me, and as I'm reading the Bible, I try to, like, listen for what the Lord might be saying to me, and then I try to write myself a note about what he, I heard him say and what he might be asking me to do. And then when I get up from my Bible reading, I try to actually decide, okay, hmm, how am I going to go practice at least one of these things so I can actually feed on Jesus in my everyday life? So church, during this virus, you got all kinds of time. You can keep Netflix running 9.50. You can watch all kinds of movies, or you can spend some time feeding on Jesus. Pastor Greg's going to give you one last idea about how to do that.